the song of deliverance. Our text is Revelation 15, verse 3. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Music has ever been and will ever be connected with God's marvelous works. Consider when this world was created. Wouldn't it have been exciting to watch as the earth came into existence? To see the sun appear from nowhere and in the darkness of the first night suddenly the moon appears? Can you imagine watching vegetation develop and seeing hundreds and thousands of varieties of tiny insects to the mighty Leviathan created before your very eyes? And then to see man made in the image of God. I know you would have joined with the angels to sing with them as they praise God, as we read in Job 38, verse 7. The morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. And what about the Savior's birth? Some 4,000 years later, mystery of mysteries, the Son of God, the Creator, of the universe becomes a helpless babe in a manger born of flesh to show us how to overcome Satan wouldn't it have been thrilling to have been out there watching with the shepherds and suddenly to hear and see thousands of angels singing glory to God in the highest and on earth Peace, goodwill toward men. <coughs> and what about Christ's triumphant return to heaven after his crucifixion and resurrection? Oh, how the angels sang as they neared the new Jerusalem. Death had been conquered. The resurrection of the saints was now assured. Listen as the angels sang, as we find in Psalms 24, 7-9. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. In this presentation, we shall consider two other mighty events connected with music. First, we shall consider the song of Moses, 
inspired by the divine deliverance, the mighty deliverance at the Red Sea. And second, the song of the Lamb, when the greatest of all anthems will be sung around the throne of God on the sea of glass, just before the new Jerusalem. It will be a song that you and I will sing with the millions of the redeemed. Oh, how I want to be there, don't you? But first, let us now consider the song of Moses. We find it in Exodus 15, verse 1 and 2. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him an habitation, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. And so reads some 16 verses, if we had time, every word so full of meaning, of war, of horses, of chariots, which are cast into the sea, of a glorious triumph, a song of victory. But in order for us to catch the full significance, we must review for a few moments the circumstances. God had revealed to Abraham centuries before that his children would become slaves for exactly 400 years. Then, they finally would receive the promised home in Cana. In Genesis 15, 13, 14. And he said unto Abraham, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve, will I judge. And afterward shall they come out with great substance. The 400 years had nearly been fulfilled. Only a fraction of time remained. And notice how God faithfully carries out his promise. Exodus 12, 51. And it came to pass the self-same day that the Lord did bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their armies. Isn't it wonderful? You can count on it. God never fails to keep his word. Think of it. Only 24 hours remained in the 400-year period. And now God, through Moses, tells his people, Tomorrow, Pharaoh will let you go, a free people. Does it happen? You better believe it. Indeed, it surely does. 
The scripture says it happened the self same day. Free at last. The Bible states in Exodus 13, 20, and they took their journey from Succoth and it camped at Edom in the edge of the wilderness. And God led the way out of Egypt. Exodus 13, 21. And he took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. What a God. Not only does he direct them by the cloud, but he considers every need, even the physical needs. He provides a canopy to protect them from the desert heat of the day. And by night, he provides a burning fiery cloud to give warmth in the cold desert chill and to provide light in the darkness. Thus it was that God led them to encamp at the edge of the Red Sea on a vast sandy plain capable of an encampment of some two million with all their animals. Here they were surrounded by a rocky defile, the mountains running down into the very edge of the sea. At this spot, the sea is some eight miles across. And uh, an Egyptian garrison is located just to the north. There is no possible way of escape. Word is brought to the King Pharaoh of their situation. Of this we read in Exodus 14:3. And Pharaoh said, They are entangled in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. Can you catch the picture now as the children are encamped? Suddenly there is a shout of fear. They look behind them and they see 600 chosen chariots, plus all the chariots of Egypt coming after them. And don't forget, this was the mightiest army that the world had at that time, coming to enslave them once again, forcing them to return to Egypt. Can you envision the picture? Before them is a vast sea of water, eight miles across. There is no bridge, no ships. They are surrounded by rugged mountains obstructing their way. Behind them, they see the flashing army armor reflected in the sunlight. This army is led by the king himself, guided by the pagan priests of Egypt. Humanly speaking, there is positively no way of escape. But that's only half the story. What they did not know was the depth of the sea before them. Recently, I watched a video produced by an Adventist archaeologist by the name of Jonathan Gray, who recently found the very spot on the Red Sea where the children of Israel crossed. There he discovered what had never been seen before, 
in modern times. Two columns of stone, some 20 feet high, two to three feet across. One on either side of this crossing. And on these stones he discovered the words inscribed by King Solomon who erected these pillars to commemorate the divine deliverance of the children of Israel. Notice these words. Quote, This monument is erected by King Solomon of Israel in honor of Yahweh in commemoration of the crossing of the Red Sea. Isn't it marvelous that today they have been discovered? Furthermore, for our interest, on the navigating charts of these waters that you will find in every large ship sailing the world, you will find that the depth of these waters is 5,000 feet deep. For the mountains continue to go right down to the very bottom at a 45 degree which would make it impossible to descend in such depths. But God, who knows the end from the beginning, had planned so that when the waters of the flood were receding, that there was a river draining the land on either side, carrying debris and mud and sand, filling up, a, making a bridge underwater at the very spot where the children of Israel were to cross. The depth of the water at this spot, on the height of this underwater bridge, was only a thousand feet with a gentle slope of a six degree. You might say that it was the degree that the interstate highways use as the limit for the automobiles as they ascend or descend. So the children of Israel with their animals could easily descend on such a slope, going down and then coming up on the other side. God knew all this, for he had planned it for a marvelous escape for his children of Israel when they left Egypt. Can you imagine for a moment what God has planned for you and for me and for his saints when in the coming troubles we think and feel that there is no way out? Now back to the children of Israel. Terror filled their hearts as they saw the army coming. And they cried to Moses <clears throat> in Exodus 14, 12. Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. But Moses knew just what was about to happen. 
In Patriarchs and Prophets 283 are these revealing words. It was revealed to Moses that Pharaoh would pursue them, but that God would be honored in the deliverance. Let us never forget the promises of God as we near the end when we will be facing impossible situations. In Amos 3, 7 we read, Surely the Lord God will do nothing but he revealeth his secret unto his servants the prophets. Thank God for the spirit of prophecy that has given us such wonderful details of what we can expect. And so <clears throat> Moses speaks with positive assurance, Exodus 14, verse 13 and 14. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians, whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. Immediately, God takes action. That cloudy column rises majestically into the heavens and passes over the Israelites descending behind them, separating Israel from the enemy. What a surprise! The cloud gives light in the night to Israel, but total darkness to the enemy. And now comes the command, Exodus fourteen fifteen. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel, that they go forward. Imagine, go forward? How? There's no bridge, no boats, no rafts. It's too far to swim. But by faith, they did advance right up to the very water's edge. Then Moses lifts his rod. One more step and the leader will be in the water. But wonder of wonders, the sea divides before them. A mighty miracle is wrought by God, and a path opens before them through the midst of the sea, eight miles across. And they descend on a bridge of sand that is 1,000 feet deep in the middle. Remember, it is night. Patriarchs and Prophets 287, the light from God's pillar of fire shone upon the foam-capped billows and lighted the road that was cut like a mighty furrow through the waters of the sea and was lost in the obscurity of the further farther shore. So, two million people with their flocks and herds follow the lighted path. They walk on dry ground the water stands on either side like a wall. Exodus 15:8. And with the blast of thy nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The floods stood upright as a heap, and the depths were congealed 
in the heart of the sea. According to the Hebrew and Chaldee dictionary that you will find in Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, the word congealed, listed as number 7087, means frozen water. In other words, God formed two walls of ice a thousand feet high at the deepest point, forming a perfectly safe path to cross the watery deep. The psalmist has declared in chapter 77, 19, and 20, Thy way is in the sea, thy path in the great waters, and thy footsteps are not known. Thou leadest thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Now the suspense deepens. The Egyptians have pursued the Israelites. As the Israelites are coming up on the other side and are out of the sea, the Egyptians are right behind them when suddenly God's marvelous black cloud that has been a cloud of protection turns to a pillar of fire. In astonishment, Pharaoh's army discovers that they are surrounded by walls of ice on either side. Their ears pound with the terrible peals of thunder as it echoes back and forth in the canyon walls of ice. Lightning strikes their ranks. God's angels remove the chariot wheels and the chariots crash. There is a mighty cloudburst from above. The earthquakes seized with confusion and fear. The Egyptians now turn and run toward the shoreline that they have left miles behind. But Moses, who has now reached the other side, lifts his rod. The congealed waters hiss and roar, eager for their prey. Rushing together in a mighty wave, the Egyptians are swallowed up in the black depths of the sea. As morning breaks, the Israelites all have safely reached the other side in Arabia. Looking back toward the sea, they behold the armor-clad bodies of the enemy washing up on the shoreline. From a night of terrible peril, God hath brought complete deliverance. Jehovah alone has made Israel's deliverance possible. Only by faith and faith alone did they go forward. Now that you and I may know what I saw on this video by Jonathan Gray at the actual crossing of the Red Sea, you will be amazed when I tell you that the video shows the archaeologist and his group in their scuba diving equipment with their cameras able to descend a thousand feet. They showed the picture of what they discovered. It was absolutely amazing. You could see the chariots, discernible, even though they were covered with thousands of years of coral buildup. The chariots were wheelless. 
since God's angels had removed the wheels. And you could see the wheels scattered abroad, covered with coral, but clearly distinguishable. Another item that was of interest was that the wheels had eight spokes. Jonathan Gray consulted with some of the curators of the Egyptian Museum in Cairo, Egypt, and learned that only in the time of Moses did the Egyptian chariots have eight spokes as revealed in these pictures. They also discovered that some of the wheels were gold-covered, had gold-covered hubs that only Pharaoh and his priests were privileged to have on their chariots. And mingled with these implements were also horses' hoofs and thousands of human bones of every kind. Seeing is believing. I believe that God hath preserved these relics to substantiate the historic Bible facts, helping us to increase our faith in this end time in which we live, so that we might know that we have a God that can perform miracles when needed to save lives, especially when soon we will face the mark of the beast in its enforcement. But back to our story. Now the Spirit of God rests upon Moses. He leads the freed slaves in a triumphant anthem. It's the song of Moses. Listen to the words. I will sing unto Jehovah, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider hath he cast into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. Can't you just hear two millions singing such praises? Oh, how they must have sung. That was the greatest choir the world had ever seen. Remember, they have been freed from 400 years of slavery. Now they are totally free. And listen to this, Patriarchs and Prophets 289. That song does not belong to the Jewish people alone. It points forward to the destruction of all foes of righteousness and the final victory of the Israel of God. The prophet of Patmos beholds the white-robed multitude that have gotten the victory, standing on the sea of glass, mingled with fire, having the harps of God, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Humanly speaking, we too have an impossible ordeal to face, which brings us to the second part of our sermon. Said the psalmist in Psalms 115, 1, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name 
give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Have you considered lately what God has done for us? How he has made it possible for us to be delivered from the power of sin if we will only follow the path that he has made for us? In Patriarchs and Prophets 289, in freeing the souls from the bondage of sin, God hath wrought for us a deliverance greater than that of the Hebrews at the Red Sea. Like the Hebrew host, we should praise the Lord with heart and soul and voice, and, I'm sorry, and voice for his wonderful works to the children of men. You know, our hearts should just be filled with a melody of gladness. When you consider the daily blessings of food and clothing and shelter and health and the loved ones that surround us, oh, we could go on and on. All of these from the hand of God. But above our temporal blessings, consider for a moment what the death of Jesus means to you and me personally. He has brought the happiness of heaven within our reach. Because of his matchless love, we are now called the children of God. We can look for a life that never ends, all because of his matchless sacrifice on Calvary. Praise him for a heavenly inheritance Praise him for his boundless promises. Praise him that Jesus lives to intercede in the sanctuary above for us. In Psalms fifty twenty three, Whoso offereth praise, saith the Creator, glorifieth me. All the angels of heaven unite in praising God. I think it's time for us now to begin learning that song that we are going to sing, that we may soon join the ranks of the angels, said the psalmist. Psalms 146.2, While I live, will I praise the Lord. I will sing praises unto my God while I am a being. Psalm 67.5, Let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. One of the most beautiful and comforting passages of Isaiah refers to that pillar of cloud of fire, revealing God's care for us in the final struggles just ahead. I want to read it to you. In that day, I'm reading Isaiah the fourth chapter, beginning with verse 2. And wherever you find in the book Isaiah, where it says, in that day, it refers to the end of this world. Notice. In that day, the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely for them that are escaped of Israel. And it shall come to pass that he that is left in Zion, and he that remaineth in Jerusalem shall be called holy. 
even everyone that is written among the living in Jerusalem. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion, and shall have purged the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. You see, the Lord is talking about the great shaking that is now taking place. And when he is going to take hold of the reins and clean up his people, separating the wheat from the tares. Notice verse 5. The Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion and upon her assemblies a cloud and a smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For upon all the glory shall be a defense and there shall be a tabernacle for a shadow in the daytime from the heat and for a place of refuge and for a covert from storm and from rain. Isn't it beautiful that we can expect again the Lord to cover us with his glory and take care of us as he did the children of Israel in the coming time of trouble? But now I want you to notice a contrast of those who are within the church today claiming to be Christians but have never surrendered to God. Notice verse 1. And in that day, seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by thy name to take away our reproach. Now these seven women are not pure women, for you will notice they are impure. We are told they are taking hold of one man. The one man, of course, is Christ. They don't want to follow his word. They don't want to accept the bread of life. Notice it says they will eat their own bread. They have cooked up their own new theology based on man-made doctrines, false doctrines upon which they are feeding. And they even dress contrary to God's way, refusing to put on his robe of righteousness, which is given only to the obedient. They do not want to obey. All they want is his name, to be called Christians, but refusing the clean white fine linen, which is the righteousness of Christ, which God will place upon all who overcome every sin before he comes. You see, righteousness is sinlessness. God's saints are commandment keepers. You see, they love Christ. As it says in John fourteen fifteen. if ye love me, keep my commandments. They are ready to be married to Christ. Revelation 19, 7-9. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself 
ready. And to her was granted that she would be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he said unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Are we ready for this experience? Now for a moment back to the Red Sea. God had a purpose in bringing Israel to the Red Sea. He chose this method to test their faith. Remember, with the enemy at their back, with mountains on either side, with an impassable sea before them, God gave the command, go forward. What if they had hesitated? What if they had not gone forward until their feet reached the water's edge? The result? God would have never opened up a path in the sea. Hebrews 11.29, by faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, while the Egyptians are saying, to do were drowned. It was by faith that they passed through the Red Sea on dry ground. Patriarchs and Prophets 290, in marching down to the very water, they showed that they believed the word of God as spoken by Moses. They did all that was in their power to do, and then the Mighty One of Israel divided the sea to make a path for their feet. And so this lesson is for us today. We who are living in this time of the end, we will find that sometimes duty seems hard to perform. Both the Bible and the spirit of prophecy picture a coming crisis. Humanly speaking, they can only bring bondage and death. Yet, God speaks, go forward. We must obey his command, even though our eyes cannot penetrate the gathering darkness, even though the cold waves are beginning to gather about our feet. But we must remember the obstacles that hinder our spiritual progress will never disappear before a halting and a doubting spirit. Patriarchs and Prophets 290. Those who defer obedience till every shadow of uncertainty disappears and there remains no risk of failure or defeat will never obey at all. Unbelief whispers, let us wait till the obstructions are removed and we can see our way clearly. But faith courageously urges an advance, hoping all things, believing all things. Remember, the cloud of darkness to the Egyptians was to the Hebrews a flood of light. While the world is daily encountering a hopeless darkness in these days, the trusting soul in God's word will be filled with a light of peace.
remember the Lord is about to deliver his people and he alone can give the victory remember our text Revelation 15 3 and they sing the song of Moses the servant of God and the song of the Lamb saying great and marvelous are thy works Lord God Almighty just and true are thy ways thou King of Saints by the grace of God I plan to sing this song someday soon with God's people will you join me I have often been told of the houses built of shining gold in that Heavenly Father, thank you for the wonderful knowledge that has come to us 
of the tremendous miracle of crossing the Red Sea. Help us, Lord, as we face the future to ever remember that thou wilt help us every day if we will be faithful. May the angels of God bless us, Lord, and may this week be a wonderful week of victories in our life. Through the name of Jesus, amen.